Lord, let your word be a lamp upon our feet and a light upon our path. Amen. Good morning. I looked at a few different Bible translations of the parable in Luke 18 and the titles given to the story. In the Message Bible, the parable is called The Story of the Persistent Widow. Regardless of the title, one thing is clear. There is no doubt the widow is bothered, even agitated. She is not pleased with the way things are going. We see people feeling this way all the time. Unless a person lives in another galaxy, you might not know that we are in the heart of football season. But more specifically, we are in the heart of the football season in the South. Go Vols. I, I better not digress. I'll leave it at that. Okay. A few years ago, a man stood in the driveway of Matt Schaub's house. Matt is the quarterback, was the quarterback, for the Houston Texans. Uh, Texans like football too, but behind us. He berated, he berated Matt for poor playing. The man was upset about this disastrous two wins and three losses to start the season. Matt also, through interceptions, returned for touchdowns in four consecutive games. Now, going to Matt's home was over the top, to say the least. It didn't accomplish much. It didn't add any information that he already didn't have as the team's quarterback. But the widow is disgruntled for a more profound reason than this football fan. She has been clearly cheated. What is interesting is that Jesus is very clear and upfront about the lesson he wants his followers to learn by telling this parable. They needed to pray always and not ever, ever lose heart. There are interesting questions we may have about this story. Are we really supposed to pester God in prayer the way the widow pesters the judge? Are we supposed to wear God out and wear God down until God relents and does what we want God to do? Does God answer prayer just to shut us up? Now, Jesus has taught about prayer all along. He told his followers to pray in a secret room by themselves. They were not to be like the hypocrites in the synagogues. He taught, whatever you ask in prayer, believe it, and it will be yours. In the 11th chapter of Luke's gospel, one of his disciples saw Jesus praying and asked Jesus to teach him because he knew that the followers of John the Baptist were taught prayer by John. And so he said, Jesus, you're our leader, you're our teacher, you need to teach us. And so Jesus gave them a prayer verbatim. This is what you say, our Father who art in heaven. But this parable has a twist given away by its title in the Common Bible Translation. That section, it's called 
justice for the faithful. The widow's demand for justice from a pompous, self-righteous man in a system that oppresses women is used to teach the disciples to pray and to never give up. He uses justice. When you think about it, well, there is a connection. The soul, our souls need prayer. Our society needs justice. A follower's faith has a need to pray always and consistently. Our souls in prayer have to be patient and not lose heart, not giving up on ourselves or not giving up on God. And this is true for justice as well. The New Testament writers, man, they really like the book of Isaiah. There are 250 quotes from this book in the New Testament. The first chapter in the book of Isaiah begins by talking about justice. Seek justice, rescue the oppressed, defend the orphan, plead for the widow. Later in the 61st chapter, it reads, for I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrongdoing. Working to create a just society for all people, it requires consistency. It requires not losing heart or giving up when God's love, grace, and righteousness don't seem to be anywhere to be found. Now, women who lived in the days of Jesus had very few rights, but yet this widow, mm -mm, she doesn't lose heart. She knows what she needs. She knows exactly where to go and whom to ask in order to get it. If anything, the daily business of getting up, getting dressed, heading over to the judge's workplace or his driveway, talking his ear off, clarifies her own sense of who she is and what she's about. There's nothing vague or washed out about this bold, plucky woman. This woman lives in technicolor. Give me justice. I will not shut up until you do. And, of course, she stands in contrast to the judge who we are told had no fear of God or having respect for others. So Luke, Luke takes all this in, this talk about justice, and he breaks it down for himself. And for Luke, justice is fearing God and having respect for others. Fear God and respect others. If we pause and consider if acts of justice were judged by these two criteria, you know, we might rethink how just we really are. Is there any fear of God left? Sometimes I believe we try to tame the Lord so much that God is just a mere, like, portion of our lives rather than the one who makes sense of our lives. Do we need to have God all figured out? A part of fear <laughs> is not knowing what God's up to, what God is going to do next. I like what Callistos Ware, a bishop in the Eastern Orthodox Church, wrote. It is not the task of Christianity to provide easy answers to every question, but to make us progressively aware of mystery. God is not so much the object of knowledge as the cause of wonder. 
My ways are not your ways, says the Lord. And that sometimes can scare us. Do we think fear of God is an archaic phrase just left for the recesses of the Old Testament and and not binding on our lives now? The Hebrew word for fear is yira, and it is often translated as awe. The word also means respect and reverence and worship. And these are words that describe a relationship of trust and love. Of all these traits, were, if all these traits were present in the disciples, and all these traits, I'm sorry, were present in Jesus' relationship with his disciples. Is there respect for the other? Or has fear crushed our compassion? Has narcissism truly, truly become an epidemic? We might think twice before denying the rights and opportunities of others, immigrants, our LGBTQ brothers and sisters, and people of color if we feared God and reflected on what respect really means. We might step forward with words of love to counteract the rhetoric of hate and misogyny and bigotry if we feared what God would think if we remained silent and then showed respect toward those who feel the brunt of hurtful rhetoric. Yes, the fear of God and respect for others were a part of our understanding of justice. Justice might look a whole lot different today. Let's not forget the judge, y'all. He is as powerful as he is dismissive of God and God's ways. He denies any holy fear of God and respect for others. And this widow who lacks power is the one who names. And this woman demands justice. Justice in Luke's gospel. She demands it. And in the words of Frederick Douglass, the famous black abolitionist writer and orator of the 19th century, power concedes nothing without demand. Hmm. The parable this morning leads us to sense that the quest for justice to bring about the kingdom of God, it's never over. It is important enough to demand it. The passion and actions for a just society and a beloved community are perfect teaching tools to deepen our understanding of the need to pray with a spirit of consistency that doesn't lose heart. In the midst of power and deep yearning for what is right, Jesus teaches his disciples and us, will not God grant justice to his chosen ones who cry to him day and night? Will he delay in helping them? I will tell you, God will grant them justice. When we plead and act for justice in our time with consistency and not losing heart, the kingdom of God is near. Amen.